Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Father in heaven, we have this treasure that we've been commemorating and now that we will be declaring in earthen vessels in order that the surpassing value and power might belong to Christ. This church is filled with broken vessels right now for the glory of Jesus. And so I ask that you would grant me just enough assistance not to appear unbroken, but to make Jesus known. Grant, I pray that I would be faithful to your word written and to the spirit of it as well as the factuality of it. I pray for love to abound in my heart towards your people and to the lost in this room. And I pray that the prayers of your people would ascend for me and for each other as they listen. And that this would be a moment of communion with the living God in preaching and in hearing, and that we would exult and worship over this word. And so be honored in these next few minutes, I pray. And may those who are without Christ... Believe. And may those who believe be made mighty in the spirit to fight for faith and against sin in their own lives to the glory of Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. I have said in years gone by many times. And I'm going to say it again now. The only sin that you can defeat in your life is a forgiven sin. The only sin that you can get victory over in your life is a forgiven sin. What I mean is this. We must begin with the experience of joyful confidence that there is now over us no condemnation or we cannot make the least headway in transformation. We will become legalists or lechers or despairers. If we don't start 
with the conviction that there is therefore now no condemnation on my head, and therefore I can make war triumphantly on sins, the forgiven sins in my life, and win. You get that turned around, and you will perish. You get that backwards, and you will die. Justification must precede and ground sanctification. That's the fancy way to say it. Being right with God must precede and empower doing right for God. You get that turned around, you got another religion, not Christianity, to which I know some people respond with, oh my, this is just nitpicking, order, theology, justification, which comes first, justification, sanctification, got to get this right here, got to do theology right at Bethlehem. Some people say, I still function that way. You start talking about these orders and these big words, justification, sanctification, because, therefore, in order that, I just zone out. My brain doesn't work that way. I'm kind of a relational person. Well, I want to, I want to plead with you. That if you feel that rising right now, as you hear those words tumble out and my call to get this thing in right order, that pardon precedes power and justification precedes sanctification and being right with God must precede doing right for God or we get another religion, not Christianity, and we perish, not live. If you feel like that's nitpicking right now and that stretches your brain, would you just ponder something with me? Ponder this analogy. Suppose you're in a courtroom and you have committed a capital offense. The verdict guilty will mean death for you and the verdict not guilty would mean freedom and life for you. And the judge says, now, there are two ways we can deal with this. I can acquit you and render a verdict not guilty right now and send you out free to spend the rest of your life living in such a way as to display the mercy and the wisdom of your judge. Or, if you prefer, I can postpone the trial for a few years, assign a parole officer to you, and then hold the trial later and take all the records of your behavior and make that the basis of whether you get acquitted or not. Which would you like? Would, you, would any of you say, that's just nitpicking. That's just nitpicking. This is nitpicking. There's not a person in this room who would say that's nitpicking. You would say, Really? I can choose which comes first, my verdict or my life. 
you would not say, Ah, order, theology. Your whole life hangs on this, folks. You need to apply what little bit of brain may be left after it's turned to mush in front of television. What little bit may be left, reclaim it for Jesus. Because the Apostle Paul wrote a certain way and puts demands upon our renewed minds to get it for our soul's sake. Now the key question to me this morning is, what's the relationship between verse 1 and verse 2 of Romans 8? Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's justification. By trusting Jesus, we get united to him. And when we're united to him, his righteousness is made available to us. And his pardon becomes our pardon. And there is no condemnation on our heads in Christ Jesus. Sins forgiven, guilt removed. All wrath averted, the verdict is rendered, the court trial is passed, no condemnation. That's verse 1. Then verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now that's not justification, that's transformation or sanctification. Here we have the Spirit of God triumphing over sin in our lives. How does verse 2, sanctification, relate to verse 1, justification? The declaration of no condemnation and the performance of God transforming our lives. How do they relate? I'm going to come back to that. That's the main question this morning. The absolutely crucial, non-nitpicking question. But first, let's get verse 2 really clear. Three things about verse 2. Number one, what is the law of sin and death? Where it says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? The answer, I believe, is in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 7. You know that there are no chapter divisions in the original. And Paul, when he wrote, he just kept flowing and didn't put in verse divisions or chapter divisions. Those were added later. So just back up a couple of verses to verse 22 of chapter 7. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body. There's a law in the, in the legs and arms and sexual organs and tongue and ears and eyes. There's a law there, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the, here's the phrase, law of sin. That's the phrase from verse 2 of chapter 8. And the reason he adds, and death, in verse 2 is because if you leave the law of sin unopposed, it will kill you. Which is in my members. So what is this law? Is it is it a list of to-dos and to-don'ts? No. We know that because it says it's in my members. It's in my hands. It's in this tongue. It's in these eyes. 
And it is constantly luring me powerfully toward sin. That's the law of sin. It's not a list. It's a principle or a power or an authority. Something like that. That is leading me and making war against my true self. That's the first thing to observe. Here's the second thing to observe. The Spirit is the one who gives us victory over this power or authority or principle called the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So since the word law refers to principle or power or authority or impulse in verse 2b, that's what I think it means here in 2a as well. The law of the Spirit is not a list. It's not the Mosaic law. It's not another list. It is the principle or the power or the impulse or the authority of the Spirit. The Spirit works one way in our lives leading to life. The sin works another way leading to death. And the way the one works is called the law of sin. And the way the other works is called the law of the Spirit of life. So that's the second thing to observe. You don't sanctify yourself. In Christ, the Spirit sanctifies you. How do you get victory over sin? The Holy Spirit's power in your life is the means by which you are triumphant over the law of sin in your life. The law of the Spirit, the power, the principle, the authority, the impulse of the Spirit triumphs over the warring faction of your life called the law of sin and death. That's the second observation, the Spirit's victory. The third observation is that it is in Christ that this is granted to you. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, this is really important. Two, two observations about it. One, it means every Christian has the Holy Spirit. This is not second stage Christianity. Like, I will put my faith in Jesus, and then I will be a real weak, morbid Christian with no Lord. And then later on, you have this second bump up experience, and the Holy Spirit masters you. This text says, in Christ Jesus, that's where he is, the law of the Spirit of life triumphs. If you're in Christ, you've got it. Now, you can underline that with verse 9 of chapter 8. However, you're not in the flesh, says to the Christian church there in Rome. You're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. In Christ, now, we see there are two things true of us. And we're almost back to asking our key question. Verse 1 has the same phrase, in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, in Christ Jesus. What are we 
in Christ Jesus in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the first thing we can say about being in Christ Jesus is that the verdict is delivered and we are not condemned. It's past. The trial is over. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. And then verse 2 says... The law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. So we have pardon and we now have power in Christ Jesus. You don't get into Christ Jesus without having both of those made over to you. There's pardon in Christ. There's power in Christ. You don't get into Christ and say, I got the pardon and not the power. I got the power and not the pardon. In Christ, you get them both or you don't get them. You're not in Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus, you get united to Jesus, and in Jesus there's no condemnation, and there is power. Now, here's the question. How does the working of the power towards liberation and transformation relate to the declaration that I have no condemnation? This is not nitpicking. This is your life. You get these backwards, you die. You get them right and live it, you live. So, what's the order between verses 1 and 2? Notice the word for at the beginning of verse 2. You might wish it weren't there. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. NIV says because. The other versions say for. They mean the same thing. For or because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free from the law of sin and death. So what's the relationship between justification in verse 1 and sanctification in verse 2? Well, before you answer too quickly, take something into account. The meaning of for or because, both in English and Greek, both in apostolic language and your language, has two meanings. One is, for or because can introduce a basis or ground or reason that something is, Or it can introduce the evidence that you know something is. Give you an example from your language. I'm really hungry because my stomach is growling. Or you can say, I'm really hungry because I skipped breakfast. And because in those two sentences have radically different Meanings. A growling stomach is not the basis of hunger. It's the effect and evidence of hunger. And we use the word because. I'm really hungry because my stomach is growling. But if I say, I'm really hungry because I skipped breakfast... Well, we know that skipping breakfast is the cause of the hunger and is the ground and basis of the hunger. So here's my question for the relationship between verses 1 and 2 of Romans 8. Which meaning of because is here? 
Is he saying, there is therefore now no condemnation because look, you are being transformed by the Spirit of God bearing witness that you are free. Or is he saying, there is therefore now no condemnation because the foundation and the basis of your acceptance with the Father, your verdict not guilty, is the Spirit-wrought righteousness that you are performing. Here are two reasons for why I believe verse 1 is the foundation and ground and basis of verse 2, which is the evidence of verse 1. I'm going to argue that the because or the for at the beginning of verse 2 is the evidence, points to the evidence that verse 1 is so. Reason number one. This one's from the immediate context. The second one will be from chapter 7. Notice the relationship between verse 3 and 2. Verse 3 begins with that same word, because or for. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death because, now boil down verse 3 to its main statement, because God condemned sin in the flesh, the flesh of his own son. And you remember how we pointed out the connection between the word condemned there in verse 3 and the word condemnation in verse 1. Verses 1 and 3 are together in this. Verse 3 is all about what God has done to set you right with Him. He has sent His Son to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death, to bear your condemnation. No guilt. No wrath. No condemnation. Why? Jesus in the flesh bore it. God condemned it there and not in you. And that is given as the basis of verse 2. Your sanctification. So when verse 1 says... There's no condemnation now in you. It's pointing to verse 3 saying, He died for you. All the wrath of God was poured out on Him. So look, the Spirit is in you, triumphing over your sin. Rejoice, there's no condemnation. I don't think, given the relationship between Three and two, that is the death of Christ on our behalf, bearing our condemnation as the ground of our liberation from sin can be turned around and made to contradict itself in the relationship between verses one and two. But there's a clearer statement of Paul's theology in this regard in chapter seven. Go, go to chapter seven, verse six. There's so many places we could go to point this out. This is, this is not isolated, this truth that our justification grounds our sanctification and the confidence that we have of no condemnation is the means by which we become liberated from sin. Verse 
Verse 6 of chapter 7 is, is um, magnificent in its clarity and power. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law. And here in the context, it's the Mosaic law. Know that from verses 1 to 5. We've been released from the law. The law's curse. The law's guilt. The law's condemnation. Christ became a curse for us, Galatians 3.13, so that the curse of the law is broken. It's not over us anymore. And then look at these precious non-nitpicking words that follow. So that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not the old way of the letter. What's the relationship between being freed from the law with its condemnation, its curse and its guilt and the ability by the Spirit to triumph in service for God? What's the relationship? It's crystal clear in this verse. We have been freed from that so that we would serve this way. If you turn those around, you don't have Christianity. You have another religion. Which is why, by the way, going back to the way I spoke at the Lord's table. Why Jesus could say the absolutely outrageous things he said To the Pharisees, you don't even know God. They had another religion. They thought it was all based on the Bible. And it wasn't based on the Bible because they got everything backwards. They weren't nitpicky enough and they perished. So, I close with these pleadings. It's not nitpicking, brothers and sisters and friends who are without Christ right now. It's not nitpicking. It's your life. It's the difference between fighting to get justified and fighting confidently because we are justified. It's the difference between your heavenly court trial being behind you with an irrevocable verdict, irrevocable verdict of not guilty being rendered and having the trial in front of you, hanging over your head, wondering if your behavior will measure up in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the difference between the freedom of confidence and the bondage of fear. It's the difference between rendering to Christ the double glory of His being, our righteousness and our condemnation, and the power that brings us into holiness, or just giving Him half His glory and calling Him the one who enables us to perform a righteousness which we will offer to God from ourselves as the foundation of our acceptance with Him. I don't want Him to get half His glory. I want Him to get all of His glory. His blood and righteousness being the ground of our acceptance and His power being the means by which we are liberated and transformed. And it's the difference between your life and your death. So pray. Pray with me now.
that God would help you not to be the kind of person who calls this nitpicking, but the kind of person who, when you see it, hear it, read it, fall on your face and pray, Oh God, oh God, help me get this right. Help me not to be a Pharisee. Help me to know how to rest sweetly in the no condemnation that there is in Christ so that out of the sweet communion and rest and acceptance and love and vindication and justification that there are in you, I might now have power in the Holy Spirit to get victory over my lust and my greed and my fear. Help me pray like that. And then when you go out, in just a minute, I'm done. I'm going to let you go. When you go out, fight your sin like a victor, not a victim. When you walk out of here this afternoon and temptations come, and they will come, there resides in your members another law. The law of sin and death. The Spirit is in you to help you make war on this law. And it's the war as a victor in confidence that we're loved and accepted that will show that you are loved and accepted. Fight like a victor this week, not like a victim. And now may God fill you with all joy and peace in believing as you trust in His Precious and very great promises. And so may you abound in hope. And all the people said, Amen. You're dismissed.